Good evening, Mr. Christian, Coach Holly. Thank you guys for coming in for episode 131 of the Path to Follow podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have both of you guys in the studio today, and uh, I'm excited to chop it up and, and catch up with you guys and hear how your year is going. Well, uh, Jake, thanks for having me and, and my old and dear friend Dan uh, doing this. I guess that was one of the earlier podcasts. I don't even know what number it was, but I'm happy to be back. And I'm having a great year, actually, um, transitioned back to doing what I wanted to do when I was a young man, uh, probably around when I got out of the Navy, I guess, at the age of 25 or 6 or whatever it was. I, I wanted to teach kids and, uh, you know, had had a family and things turned and, and wasn't really able to do that the way I wanted to because I, I needed to earn a little bit more money. And uh, now, finally, almost 40 years later, I guess I'm in year 39, I'm back to doing it again. So it's been a great blessing for me. I'm really enjoying the year. Um, I'm a lot older than the parents and certainly the kids, <laughs> but I'm, I'm trying to find my way with the new generation. So it's been great. Thank you. Very good. Well, and and nice to have uh, Jake. Same thing. I could almost uh, echo what uh, Mr. Holly just said there. Thanks for having me. It's nice to nice to see you and certainly to uh, to see Timmy. We've been uh, friends since 1985 and working together and talking and um and i'm doing fine i, I mean i moved from um uh, you know in the four and a half years since i retired in 2019 moved to iowa city and uh, uh and then moved to des moines looking for a larger urban environment and then had a you know as i mentioned before had a had a dear college friend pass away and just decided to move back to where i you know that i really liked the east coast when i lived here and um so i'm still getting to teach um you know, I have a Dante class every, uh, just finished one uh, the past six weeks and then starting another one. Um, so I'm still lucky enough to get a chance to hang out with the uh, um, greatest story ever written, Dante's Divine Comedy. And um, so that's a little bit of a biased statement, but um, but still accurate, uh, <laughs> I would think. So um, as, as Coach Holly and I were talking about, he was referencing the good book and when I think about the good book, I think about uh, Dante's Divine Comedy um, as well. It's just very, it's a sacred text. So anyway, I'm doing, I'm doing great. Happy to be on the planet and living in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And, um, you know, I got a Dante uh, event coming up with some Dante and music coming up in, uh, in November down in Chestertown, Maryland. Uh, so I'm uh, happy to be here. So nice to see you all. So awesome. Well, let me ask, let me start us off with a, I guess, discussion question or topic that I've been thinking a little bit about. Um, do you think it's harder or more difficult to be a good teacher or a good, good coach? Well, <clears throat> I, I, I guess I've, and this is part of the Gilman thing, um, not necessarily unique to Gilman, but it's certainly a part of Gilman's history and tradition. I, I've always felt they were one and the same. Um, you know, you're just teaching a different discipline. If you're teaching, as, as my dear friend taught for years, you know, kids how to play defense uh, in basketball, that's, in my mind, not a whole lot different than trying to teach them that they need to put a semicolon between two main clauses. <laughs> um, you're just teaching a different, a different discipline. So I, I'm not sure it's harder. I think the coaching piece of it, if you're talking about coaching in athletics, um, is more emotional. Um, I think the nature of sports and competition and and maybe some of the values, the value systems that we we challenge ourselves and challenge the kids with in athletics, um, there's more of a, 
uh, an emotional and psychological investment, and certainly on the part of the parents and therefore the children, there's more of that. I think the academic classroom is less emotional. Um, I think the investment should be stronger. It is not always stronger. But in terms of being a good teacher, a good coach, I think the effort you put in in both places um, is pretty much the same. I've, oft, I've often uh, had conversations in my years as an athletic director and meeting a lot of college coaches who were complaining about being on the road all the time and never being home and all that. And I said, well, why don't you just uh, teach and coach in high school? Oh, no, I, I'm not a teacher. So, well, what are you doing in mm-hmm. practice? You're, you're teaching. Oh, I, I couldn't do it. Well, so, I again, I, I never understood that theoretically. Um, and I think in, at a place like Gilman, um, the the – the opportunity to be a teacher and a coach allows the students to see you in a different light and allows you to see the kids in a different light. And I think that's a pretty healthy environment because the reality is we're all trying to be mentors of some sort. So mm-hmm. again, there are all kinds of ways to mentor. And I think as many venues as you get that opportunity, the better the relationship and, and more fulfilling and, and fruitful, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, I, Timmy, I mean, like, like uh, often, although uh, Coach Ali and I haven't always agreed on everything, certainly, which would be kind of a, Patho- you know, uh, a, a pathology if we did um, but the um i would just concur and say you know well said i i think that that question is an interesting one jake that you just asked and um i think it's really sort of a hard thing to measure you know what does it mean to be a good teacher a good coach because students aren't toasters you know, and so it's not like you are on an assembly line, which are not bad things. Obviously, toasters are good and, you know, and things that, you know, you're not dealing with some sort of final end product that you can say, put A, B, C and D together. And now you have um, a final product. You have the student uh, that is always in process. So my sense has always been in order to aim our best efforts at being as good a teacher, a coach as we can, the best way to do that is to be it lacrosse, be it basketball, be it football, be it uh, ninth grade English or your leadership class or Dante's Divine Comedy, is to always remember that first and foremost, you are a student first, always. And uh, if we remember that, that we're always learning more and more about the, the subject or and the sport that we love, um, if we are students first, I think that's a pretty potentially good way to be meaningfully effective because then you are growing with your, uh, and I'm sure Jake with you in the years now, I mean, as you move through your teaching time, you know, the more you do it and the more you are a student of everything that you invite the kids to pay attention to, um, you are growing in your relationship to that thing, just like the kids are. Mm-hmm. So and certainly my conversations, Jake, you know, the wonderful conversation I got a chance to have with you, you know, I mean, you are clearly a student first. And I think that's going to continue to make you a fine young teacher. And eventually you'll be an older teacher. <laughs> eventually. And I, I think, Dan, too, the other thing that we, you and I have had this discussion for years about, um, you know, particularly when you're a younger teacher, you're really worrying about touching each child and making an impact with each kid. And we we've talked about this. I mean, first of all, because human beings are human beings, they're going to be kids you don't connect with. Um, either they don't connect with you, or you don't connect with them, or vice versa, you know, or, or mutually. Um, and I think that 
for a more veteran teacher, a person who's been there, done that a few times, I think that becomes um, something that you don't embrace it, but you accept it. And I think when you're younger, it's harder. The kids you don't reach, you get frustrated. You, well, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with him? What's wrong? You know, but I think, again, the reality is that um, you're not always going to connect with everyone. And I think once you, as a, as a more seasoned teacher or coach, I think once you kind of get to that piece, um, that helps you be more effective as well because you don't, it, in a lot of cases, it's not about you or the student. It's just about circumstances or, or maybe there's a disconnect. One of the nice things about having multiple teachers and multiple coaches is that you may, the, the, the student has options, right? Because one person may not naturally be a good fit for that person. So I, I think that's been helpful in making one more effective also, that, you know, there, there are different strokes for different folks and and just having some peace with that is just because the kid's assigned to your class or your team doesn't necessarily mean, you know, there's going to be a meaningful relationship there. I mean, you hope for the best, as Dan said, you, you give it your best effort. But, you know, it is what it is sometimes to use that overused cliche. I think that's a really good point because that's something that I, I think I, I really struggle with. And I think it's because my ego sometimes gets in the way of like this student is drifting off in my class or this student is not getting what I'm you know, what I've gone over a couple of times now, and I feel like I've done a pretty good job laying out the facts and the expectations and everything for the for the assignment, and they're not getting it. And for some reason, I mean, I think it's a little bit of the competitiveness, you know, as an athlete and, and as a coach, like you feel like you want to get everyone on the same page and succeed or get to a certain point and I think I, I put that on myself sometimes sometimes it's like a personal thing is like why is this student not understanding what I'm what I'm trying to do here and you're exactly right and it's something you have to accept I think which I'm trying you know the more that I teach to accept that not every student is going to be you know an all-star or, or understand or or connect with you on a certain level that's very well said and you are um um, at the end of the day, um, the kid who's struggling in class, you know, what's that old wonderful adage, you know, try to be kind to everybody you meet because everybody you meet is fighting a very difficult battle. And what that child, male, female person, whatever, um, we don't know what is going on. Oftentimes he may, he or she may have had to climb over an intoxicated parent as he was walking out the door to go to school. You know, I mean, we, you know, the, the struggles that people, everybody has struggles and you know, that kid that you're trying to read and because you accept the fact that you're not going to reach everyone doesn't mean that you've given up on that person. It just means that you're allowing that person to be who he or she is. And ironically or paradoxically, I guess that, the fact that you almost stop trying to think that you're going to reach everyone actually creates potentially a meaningful space where that resistant kid might actually uh, move a little closer to what you're inviting him to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I think too, um, I mean, there's no substitute for experience, right? I th you know, you, the more, Jake, and, and you'll have this hopefully great blessing that Dan and I've had, I think the more you do this, the more, and this is again an overused cliche, but the, the more uh, tools in your toolkit. I mean, if you just you deal with so many different kinds of people and situations that eventually 
eventually. I don't know how long it is, but it takes a while. They start to repeat themselves. You know, you've been there, done that. And I think for, and, and Dan could attest to this uh, more than I because he's already made this step. I'm, I'm, I'm inching toward it, or maybe not inching anymore, maybe moving a lot quicker than I used to. But uh, I think when you, you decide that you're tired and you don't want to do it anymore, it's because things do start to repeat all the time. And you feel like, you know, again, for Dan and I, I've been friends a long time and talked together. Well, you had this problem in 1990, and we solved it. Well, now it's 2010, the same problem again. I don't want to do this again. We did that already. And I think eventually people say, you know, I've had enough. Um, and, and I believe, in, 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 you know, whether it's true or not, and again, Dan is, is ahead of me in this, but I, I really do believe that education is a young person's business. Um, or the old line is we get older and the kids stay the same age. And, and I am finding, again, as I've gotten more senior, um, you know, I'm, as I said earlier, older than the parents and a lot older than the students. And, um, you know, that, that ability to connect and, e and even just using references. You know, I, I said in class uh, last week I used a reference to Hogan's Heroes. Um, and, and maybe, <laughs> Jake, you don't know that reference, but, um, but, but Dan knows it. And, and I, I, I quoted Sergeant Schultz whose tagline was, I know nothing. I know nothing. 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 And the kids looked at me like I had just come from Mars. <laughs> like, what? what is that? I mean, I, and I tried to explain, well, it's Hogan's Heroes, you know, 19, whatever, 60s. I think it was early, mid-60s when Hogan. And I, again, it was, it, it, to them, it's history. I mean, obviously to me and to Dan and people from that time, it's life. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, and, and I think that a part of teaching, particularly, you know, Dan and I were blessed to teach English for a long time like you, Jake. Um, part of that opportunity in, in teaching English is you, you tell a lot of stories, or certainly I did. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and, and some of my references are off, you know. And my children, my, my three daughters will tell me often that dad no one no one no one knows what you're talking about that's that's gone it's old let it go so um so anyway we're trying like dan says you're always trying to be a student i guess um eventually uh my student days uh don't coincide with the current student days so we're trying to find some middle ground there so you've, have you had a pretty good time being back in the classroom after being away for for a couple of years being back in the english department Yes, I've enjoyed it. I, I think um, the the time away made it refreshing for me. Um, and again, you know, someone like Dan who did it for every year consistently, um, I, I think it can wear you out. But I, I have, this was the first, this year is the first time I've taught in four years. Um, and I'm going to coach for the first time in four years or five, maybe longer than that, whenever 2017 was, that's six years. Uh, I'm going to coach a little bit. So, so it's kind of new again. Um, now, Maybe I'll wear it down quicker than I used to, maybe ten or twenty years ago. But, but I, but I really have, I really have felt um, energized. E even the mundane things, the writing comments and and grading papers have not. I have not felt they were mundane. It's kind of fresh for me again. Again, I, I don't know how long it'll last, but I hope it lasts for a little while. But, but yes, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy. I'm, I was thankful for the opportunities to do the other things I've done in my career. But this is really what I want to do, and I think I'm at a stage in life now where it, it fits. I mean, it, 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 earlier in my life, it, it didn't fit as much because you know I had I had other responsibilities. But now those responsibilities aren't there, and I'm just you know I'm, I'm I get up early and excited about doing it, and um, you know so I look forward to it.
Well, I think the podcast uh, setting is the perfect place for both of you guys because of how many stories that you have from Gilman, from teaching, all the knowledge that you, you both have from literature and reading for, you know, for so long that, you know, I'm, I'm sure that's why you're such legends in the Gilman uh, community is because you could just tell stories, like you said, you can just, you know, stand in front of students and, you know, give them uh, lessons through your own experience. Would have been harder, Dan, I think, if we were math teachers. But uh, <laughs> although maybe. Well, I mean, the, um, uh, the, the, the narrative of a geometric proof um, has, some, uh, has some power, I think. <laughs> um, you know, so solving, for, uh, solving for X. Um, yeah, but what's that great line? Uh, Ely Wazell at the beginning of one of his novels, you know, Jake, the guy that wrote night, yep. you know, um, at one of his other novels, I can't remember the title of it, that, that God created man because he loves stories. Hmm. And, uh, that's a pretty, uh, that, that seems to, you know, stories are, we kind of, even, even, even in the book of Genesis, right. I mean, you know, God created with words, you know, he didn't go out to, you know, he didn't, he, and God said, let there be light. He didn't go out to Target and, and buy a creation <laughs> kit, you know, <laughs> use words to build things. So that's a good thing. So, so Mr. Christian, what, what has it been like for you rereading Catcher in the Rye? So I'm reading it again for probably the third time I've ever read it, but I read it, I think in high school and then once in college, and now I'm getting ready to, to teach it for the first time ever. Um, and you've, already read through it again recently uh what was that experience like it was um you know it was again and i know it sounds sort of hokey and stuff but it, it was a gift you know i mean because spending time with holden again um is um i mean holden caulfield was after and um uh, mr holly remembers this too when mark moskowitz came and um about that film stone reader you know that documentary yep. and um, that line that I heard in that film that really opened up so many things for me, it's like, you know, it confirmed something I'd already known, you know, that, that as long as, uh, my book is somewhat alive in you and, uh, Holden Caulfield, Catcher in the Rye was the first thing I ever read back in the mid eighties, where when I was reading it, I literally, and it sounds, you know, you know kind of crazy but i was reading it and i stopped at about um you know wherever i stopped and it felt so much to me like what holden was about to do was say hey dan i'm sorry i'm being rude let's talk about you for a while i just been talking about myself and and like it brought me in so this time holden you know, I, I sort of started back with that film back in 2022 or 20, 2002. So that's a gazillion years ago that stopped thinking of Holden Caulfield. And, and certainly since we're talking about this novel, stop thinking of Holden as the protagonist of the novel, but rather thinking about him as our wounded brother. And um, and he is alive every time you uh, turn to page one. And what I noticed this time, and I tried to keep my, um, you know, that remember uh, Coach Holly, this uh, this image that came from a gazillion years ago in the football field about, you know, you want to see the ball and see the person you're guarding simultaneously. So you have your 
you know, metaphorically, you have your big eye on the ball and your little eye on the man. Correct. Yeah. And I think you have to apply that to the book. You kind of have your big eye on the plot and your little eye, which is important, little eye on the repeating patterns that keep coming up. And um, I was struck this time, um, Jake, by like really struck. And I'm not sure exactly why I'm going to have to let it simmer for the next 20 or 30 years. But um, why Holden refers to him, refers to his inner struggles and his inner pain. He doesn't say that he's lonely ever. He says that he's lonesome. Mm -hmm. And I'm just really curious. And Jake, maybe or Mr. Holly, you have some thoughts, too, about this. What do you think? I think there's a meaningful distinction there in that difference between being lonesome versus mere, not merely, but being lonely. And, and Holden must say six or seven times how lonesome he is. And I think that that paints a pretty powerful picture in terms of a, giving us a glimpse into the very nature of his hurt. So, so it's been meaningful, but that's what I have been particularly struck by this time. And I didn't laugh at it, laugh as often this time, because I used to laugh all the time, because Holden's hilarious. I mean, yeah. he's just so extreme. He's hyperbolic all the time. This time, because I had my little eye on lonesomeness, his lonesome quality, I, I didn't feel like laughing as much because I was... Every time I wanted to laugh about the way he was being funny, it was also a picture of how hurt he is. Yeah, I would so. never really, uh, I guess when I first read the book, I had a sense that the book was about loneliness or, or lonesomeness. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm, re- I'm halfway through and I haven't started it really with my students yet. That's next week. But I'm halfway through on my own and I'm, I'm understanding that concept a lot more. I think maybe because... I read this summer as part of a book club because you need to have a book club for the infinite jest. And uh, that was one of the hardest books I've ever read. It took me since maybe March, I think we started Infinite Jest to just last week. And and I still, you know, I skimmed a little bit and I still have a little bit more to go with it. But our book club finished up and that book is, it's just a meditation on loneliness and addiction. And I feel like I've been able to understand those ideas a little bit on a, on a deeper level um, after finishing that, you know, uh, because all of the characters in that book, it's set at a tennis academy and a, and a halfway house, and it's all about addiction and the feeling that you can't, no one is really understanding who you are or seeing you. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm getting the same sense through Holden Caulfield. Is wow. no, no one is really seeing him. That's really a, yeah, remember when he, and even when he's, uh, one of the times he's, you know, wandering around New York, uh, he would come to an intersection and before he crossed, he would say to himself, he would say, he would talk to Allie and he would say, please don't let me disappear. And then he'd get across the street and he'd sort of thank him, mm-hmm. you know, and, and Allie is dead. Um, but yeah, that he, he's, He's not seen. That's very, very when And the cross pollination with that you just did there wonderfully with uh, Foster Wallace's novel is um, 
uh, is a really, really, that's a really rich, um, that's a rich connection, it seems to me. I mean, my goodness. Yeah. There's a really good essay by him, by Wallace about the spiritual experience of watching Roger Federer play tennis. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. it's interesting because uh, we we talk so much in this book club about how tennis is such a it's such a lonely sport because you're out there on your own, and even though you have coach and coaches and training, you're the only person you can blame when you lose a tennis match. You know, yeah. and and um, it's such a uh, addicting sport too. I mean, once you start playing tennis and really getting into it and watching it, I know so many people who. You know, that's the only sport they watch. They just watch tennis all day long. Um, right. So there's something to that. I, I know David Foster Wallace was a big tennis player back in the day, but he, he, I think he uses tennis in this book because it's so addicting and lonely and it adds to the whole message of the book. That's very well said. And even tennis keeps score with love. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> so I'd be interested yeah, to uh, ask you guys. I mean, we um, in the ninth grade, um, Catching a Rye was a summer reading four or five years ago. So when I was teaching it before, and so we spent the first week or two with it. So I, I'm familiar with the text. Um, I had a recent conversation with another teacher who happens to share my ethnicity, and. He felt, and I, I hadn't thought about it, but I think this is where the world is, certainly in the United States today. He, he didn't like the novel because he felt it um, had no connection to the African-American community. And I hadn't thought about that. Um, but I think in today's political culture, this is a, I mean, I teach this senior elective with, with Joe Valentine White, which has been around since 1987 because I, I was there at the inception. Um, where this, this notion of different voices and the recognition of different voices has become such a controversial in a lot of places. I mean, there, you know, this, this senior class that I'm doing with, with Joe Valentine White, I mean, if we were in Florida, we couldn't teach it. So, I mean, there, there's, a, there's a lot of controversy out there about voice and perspective. So I, I was wondering what you guys thought about that. And, and, and when this teacher said to me, we, I don't know why Catcher and I came up, but he came up and he, he, he said, boy, I really don't like that book. And for the reasons I just stated, I, I'd, I'd be interested in your perspective on that. Hmm. Um, Jake, you want to go ahead? I mean, or, uh... Well, I think, I think you're right. I think that is sort of what's going on in a lot of English departments right now is trying to find different voices to fill the curriculum and, um, I've tried to do that a little bit with my classes too, because you want, like we said, to, for every student to see themselves or be seen by what they're reading, um, and feel like they have a, you know, have something they can, uh, cling onto when they're reading something that, that makes them feel like they're connected, uh, to the class. Um, so I, I understand that a lot. Um, but I also feel like so many of the themes and the major ideas that we talk about, and e even a book like Catcher in the Rye, I feel like the idea of loneliness, w w which we were just talking about, it's universal. And uh, something I try to focus on in my English classes is just universal themes. Like no matter where you're from, what your race is, your ethnicity, your background, I feel like in every book, maybe not every book, but in, but in most books in my curriculum, I'm hoping that the students can you know, can cling on to the universal human themes and, uh, and talk about those ideas. Not to say that we don't talk about 
you know, race and gender and ethnicity and other important concepts. But I think the ones that I really, you know, value in my class are the, the universal ones. Um, and I think Catcher in the Rye, I think there are, there are multiple um, universal ideas that I'm, I'm only halfway through on this reading, but I feel like, I feel like anyone can relate to the feeling of loneliness sometimes. Yeah. I mean, that well said. And, and Sir Holly sort of said, I mean, it's such a, it's a challenging, um, um, I don't know, situation for, for, for people to, you want to be able to read and certainly because so much of the canon that has been recognized as quote valuable has been, has often excluded the voices of people of color. And so now there's an awful lot of important catching up to do in terms of making sure that, um, um, you know, everybody's, you know, backgrounds are, you know, are recognized as, as being vehicles of light. Maybe an interesting exercise would be to have someone read Catcher in a Rye and then for like a final paper or something, pick a key moment in Catcher for Holden and then write a, an essay on um, how what Holden Caulfield really needs at this moment would be to read their eyes were watching God. And so that might be a way to bridge the sort of culture gap by bringing a, uh, a fresh um, voice to Holden's experience because the, the fiction of Holden's life and the fiction of Janie, right? Is that Tim? Janie, yeah. Mm -hmm. Is that right? That great line, you know, my goal was I wanted my granddaughter to eat of a sweeter berry picked from a higher tree. Right, yeah. And so maybe there, that would be just like you had done, Jake, with the cross-pollination with David Foster Wallace and Holden. Maybe there would be meaningful ways for people. And again, it would be more work for the students, but that's okay. I mean, they could limit their screen time. They got more time to read. Um, that maybe they could, could create an encounter where Holden would meet a fiction. Because Holden loves to read, right? I mean, he's a big, you know, he's a big reader, so... So that might be uh that might be something to ponder. Well, I, I think there's a there there would be a lot of value in that. Um, and I I know that that in some classes people are attempting that. And uh, I I'm uh, doing. I think Dan, we talked about this a little bit. I'm doing something for the first time ever with the grade. I think I'm the only ninth grade teacher still teaching To Kill a Mockingbird. So, um, so we're still doing To Kill a Mockingbird in my class. But what I've decided to do this time, and again in terms of. So you take a, a quality like being lonely and you know, what's the perspective of a person who's come from this background and culture in being lonely and someone who's come from a completely different background? I mean, it's, it's still, like Jake said, it's a, human, it's a human quality, but it may have a different look to it from a different angle. So, um, so what, what, I'm, what we're doing now is we, we, read, we read part one. Actually, we just finished part one of To Kill a Mockingbird, so we haven't gotten to the trial yet. So, it's, I mean, it's just out there, right? Cecil Jacobs is calling people names. And so Atticus is trying to prepare the kids for a tough road ahead. So we stopped there. And then um, some ninth grade teachers are teaching Between the World and Me by Ta-Nehisi Coates, which is a very provocative kind of militant point of view uh, book. Um, and so we're, we're going to read now 
Coates's, the, the book is divided in two parts as well. So we're going to read part one. We're going to stop To Kill a Mockingbird, go to part one of Be- Between the World mm-hmm. and Me, and then make some comparisons and go back to part two of and finish the novel uh, To Kill a Mockingbird and then come back to finish Coates's book and, and, and see if we can cross-pollinate, to use your term, Dan. And, and, maybe, and, and maybe try to find oh. out, you know, so Harper Lee writes from a, from a feminine uh, 1960, you know, where she grew up in the South, her perspective, and then obviously Coates is younger. Coates was born in 75, and he and he grew up here in, in Baltimore. So, you know, it might be interesting to see if 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 Jim and Scout meet meet Brother Coates somewhere oh, on somewhere on the street corner and, and see and see if the yeah. kids can find some 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 commonality. And I think that's part of the great thing about literature in general. And, and Jake's point about human kindness and human qualities and, 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 and trying to empathize, which is what Atticus is trying to teach the kids every day of their lives, to be empathetic with other people. So it's hard sometimes to be empathetic if there's not exposure. So maybe the more and more we can expose people and try to figure out why Santiago in The Old Man to Sea, he's a Cuban guy, right? And why Coates in, in, in Northwest Baltimore, who's black man, Northwest Baltimore, and maybe why Holden, who's a preppy kid from a you know, family of some means, white preppy kid from means, how are they connected? Because we're all connected. And I think part of the problem in the world, of course, is that we see our, we see our uh, differences a whole lot more than we see our similarities, which is a cause for a lot of division, not only here in the United States and in our town, but you know around the world. Clearly, with recent events, so so we'll see if we can shine a a different light on the same subject and see if and see if the lights blend. That's a, that's a great. Um, it just sounds like a really um, great way to um, honor the fact that books are alive and interact with one another. That just sounds like a great. Uh, a great present. I wondered if the um, I'd been had this book recommended to me about three years ago that I read, and you all may have heard of it. It's called "The Body Keeps the Score." Oh yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah, yeah. It's about um, about the role of trauma uh, in people's lives, and obviously, they're finding out more and more. Certainly for African Americans, in terms of the the whole generational trauma. You know, even people that are suffering almost the the impact that um, trauma can have on a person's genetic code and DNA. And um, I wonder if you, you know, go back through post-traumatic stress and see what the, quote, characteristics of trauma are that if we wouldn't be able to find similarly that Holden Caulfield is exhibiting the um, PTSD given the loss of his brother um, and and bigger Thomas's experience right. that the trauma are obviously not the same um, and but on some level there may be trauma intersection as well yeah I think so. um, I think again we have more in common than we don't and uh, you know trying to get that message across I mean the, the whole the whole notion of being empathetic which, I, you know, we talk about character education in a place like Gilman. Again, not uniquely Gilman, but we talk about character education. Well, I mean, what does that really mean? I mean, I, I think it, you know, when I was a student here, we, we, we were talked to a lot about, um, you know, making the world a better place and, and serving the community and leaving the world better than you found it and all those wonderful ideas. 
that you know hard to live. <laughs> um, but but certainly the effort to try to find commonality, just to realize that you know life is hard. And and I think you said this earlier, Dan. We're all trying our best to get through it. Um, and, and 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 people are struggling as much as we are. Um, and and the more we can kind of reach that hand out, either actually or, or metaphorically or symbolically, to, to, to say, hey, you know, I, I know you're going through it, um, Holden. Hey, hey, Bigger, yeah, I know you're going through it. Uh, we're all going through it, so let's try to go through it together. I mean, certainly the strength in numbers is, uh, makes the journey a little bit more doable than, than being lonesome or lonely, and, 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 and that's a lot of Holden's issue. He's got nobody to connect with, right? And that's Bigger's issue. I mean, if you know that character, Bigger Thomas from Native Son, I mean, he he becomes a sociopath because he's got he's got no social or human connection of any value, mm-hmm. and he essentially loses his mind. Um, uh, so so these are I think these are common themes in the, in the human condition. And, and one of the nice things about teaching English um, is that you can you can talk about these different things. Um, and really, in terms of, if someone were to say, and I think Gilman has to go through this, like all schools, you're evaluated on you know, what you teach and, and how do you teach character ed? Well, one of the ways you teach character ed is you talk to kids about books and people's, and people's condition and, uh, and how they can affect that and help people get along. And by the way, I would say this is an old school way of thinking. I think now with the NIL and money and getting scholarships and getting a contract. I think that it's some of this is being lost. I would offer that in coaching that there's a similar theme of teaching empathy, how to win, how to lose, how to be a good teammate, how to handle um, adversity of any sort, whether it be an injury or, you know, coach yelled at me or, you know, whatever it is. If I fumbled the ball, you know, all those things <laughs> that athletes go through, you know, how can we, how can we find ways to help kids through that journey too because for when you're 15 years old um, fumbling a ball or missing a shot or you know letting a goal in I mean that's as traumatic for that child at that age doesn't probably mean as much to us anymore but it's a but it means a lot to that kid at that age in that circumstance as any other kind of quote-unquote tragedy Um, they just don't have the perspective yet to realize it's just a minor 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 bump in the road but you know at that moment it's a big deal so how do we how do we help help kids in that kind of human struggle to to get better well, it's a curious paradox isn't it on some level right i guess that uh in terms of institutions i mean you know you know we all you know spend a long a lot of years at gilman and stuff but the paradox is that um the ultimate goal of the truly educated person who gets his his Gilman diploma, that the goal is the goal is not ultimately to bleed blue and gray. The ultimate goal is to bleed red better and with empathy. Right. Hmm. Right. And I, I think, you know, again, this uh, human beings are complicated institutions of human beings are complicated. Right. So. So this, our push to be blue and gray and to be Gilman and all those things that we that we talk about, I mean, I, I'm I'm living proof that you know certainly I've been hearing it for 52 years now and it's a part of who I am, um, but I think as I've gotten older, uh, the more I have felt a kinship with all kinds of people and I, and I, I've said this before you know all those years as an athletic director and, and coaching and you know I, I certainly wanted Gilman to win. Um, 
because I that was our goal, one of our goals, and and I think you know we were striving to have kids do that. That's a that's a measurement. It's not the entire measurement, Dan. You and I have talked about this for eons, um, but it's certainly a measurement of what you're trying to accomplish. And we we wanted to win, but I but I always felt. I mean, I was partial to the kids in blue and gray, but you know the kids in black and orange, and the kids in gold and royal blue and gold and all those other maroon and white, all those other colors. I mean, I I wanted them to have a meaningful experience as well. Um, in my heart of hearts, and you know, obviously, there's when you're when you're when you're coaching your own kids, you, you really don't have a whole lot to do with the other kids from the other teams. But but you do in some sense. I mean, to to have some empathy if you happen to be on the on the quote unquote good side of a score, you know, uh, trying to not try to make sure the game doesn't get out of hand and people aren't humiliated, and try to you know tell your kids to help that kid up. You know, all those little things I think that shows, you know, you're 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 our opponent. Right, you're not our enemy, and I and I I felt strongly when we built new scoreboards around here years ago. I I, I felt strongly that that should say Gilman or Hounds, whatever we put up, and guests, right? Because these people are our guests; they're not our opponents. Or, you know, so um, in, in that sense. So I so I so I, I think there is school life, and again, I, my my prayer, although it's certainly sounding like a, an old curmudgeon, I guess at this point, but but I, I hope that the the money and the affectations of athletic success today. I hope we don't lose some of the other stuff that I think was a part of school life. But I'm, but I'm afraid that maybe as times have changed that that's, that's inevitable, it seems to me. I think we're, you know, we're fighting against the clickbait of social media where, you know, people see the videos of the team that's not really acting with good sportsmanship or the coaches yet, like you're seeing all that on social media because it gets the most clicks because people, people watch those videos the most. And I think a lot of the club stuff that's going on, I just see the lacrosse world, but you know, all of that is a lot of it is to make money, you know, but a lot of it is a means to, to an end. Like we're going to get your kid into a, a college. And I think like a place like Gilman is trying to instill these character values through sports and teach you know, boys, how to become men through sports. I think that's a, you know, it's a different front of all the other things that are going on in the world, which are not as, you know, are, are sort of toxic, I think, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty good word choice, to toxic. And um, and it's okay to recognize um, the people from McDonough and Calvert Hall and Loyola or whatever, that they are our guests. They are not the enemy. And you can still play hard, and but you're 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 playing. Coach Ali, we've talked about this a lot too, right? I mean, the ultimate goal is to play. Mm -hmm. You know, you signed up to play, so play against other with other human beings, as opposed to get against. And almost comes down to the proposition is the preposition that uh, <laughs> we're playing with. Uh, and and that's okay. And if you lose, that's not a character flaw. Yeah, and I think the the notion of what competition truly is, is is as we've been saying throughout this discussion. I mean, it's complicated, and 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 you know how hard do you try to win? And 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 again, if if that is the goal or one of the goals, do you do whatever it takes to win? I mean, you know, keeping that all in context, I think is is uh, is challenging because I, because the world says that the the guy with the most has the most. And, and I'm not sure, um, having having chosen a career in education like the four of us who are sitting here, 
well, we don't have the most in terms of dough. I can tell you that. I mean, I assume that's true. Um, but but we might have the most in terms of other things or the most for us. And so this idea, I mean, you, you know, Dan, we've had teams over the years who were, who were good and, and, and had great records and teams with not so great records. I, I can recall um, coaching several teams who had very <laughs> – it didn't have a lot of wins. I mean, you know, well under 500. And I, my hope for those teams, and, and I, you know, I'm a little bit of a of a Pollyanna here, I guess, but my hope for those teams that looking back on the experience, that it was as fulfilling for them as the teams that that won games, right? And you and you can have some teams that win championships where it wasn't a great experience. But you know, how do, how do we how do we measure or what what should our goals be when we're trying to teach kids? you know, quote unquote, how to win or how to compete. And that, and that can be academically as well. You know, if, if a, I'm inclined, if a, a child comes to me and says, hey, look, I, 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 I want to talk to you about my grade, I'm inclined to say, well, I really don't want to talk about your grade. I mean, because the grade is arbitrary. What I'd like to talk to you about is what you wrote or how you wrote it. I mean, those, those kinds of things. Or let's talk about, you know, why you didn't see the character in the book maybe the way I saw it. Let's, let's have that conversation. Uh, but again, I think we're, we're, we're geared to, and maybe it's a, it's a vestige of capitalism, that we're kind of geared to production. And I, you know, I, and I, hope, I hope life isn't that black and white or cut and dry. I mean, there's, it's, it's, again, it's, it's complicated. But I think it's complicated in a good way, particularly if you've lived a fulfilled life. So, Well said. Well, guys, thank you uh, for your words. It's been a fun discussion. Mr. Christian, it's great to see you. Thank you for uh, coming in on Zoom. And um, did you get a chance to listen to some Hozier, Hozier's new album that's based off? You know, I I, I, I apologize because I I have that there and I'm going to take a listen today. I'm going to find some time today because I appreciate you sending me that uh, that potential Dante Dante music. So thank you. I will... um, you know, I haven't forgot. I got it right there. It's just it's, things have been a little hectic here. But I mean, uh, Hozier is Hozier is is significantly out of your music genre. I mean, I, <laughs> I mean that, that's really going. I, I mean, I'm I'm impressed that you even would be willing to think about listening to that. Well, I mean, I appreciate that, Coach Holly. I'm not sure that your tone <laughs> is as genuine uh, as, uh, as as we would like. But uh, yeah, I'm willing. To, I'm willing to acknowledge that there are. One or two other musicians besides Harry Chapin. Uh, so, um, yeah, I'm really my world's getting bigger. I mean, I eat bro- I eat broccoli now, so, so there you go. And and uh, you know, and certainly as your world gets bigger, your your chipping and putting has improved as, as well. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm I've noticed it with great admiration. Exactly. I mean, I can sometimes drain ten or twelve footers to save an eight or nine. <laughs> Well, that's always my hope that if you have an eight or a nine, then my six might win. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly, exactly right. It's it's not it's it's not about it's about playing. It's about, it's about playing. playing. It's that's about right. playing. I just so. want to play a little less in the game of golf than you do. <laughs> very well, very well said. Well, Jake, Jake, thank you for having me, Mr. Holly. Thanks for sharing some time, Mr. Christian. Yeah, always a golf. pleasure. We'll be seeing you soon, I'm sure, before the weather gets. Uh, a little too chilly for us to hit the ball around. No, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm sure we'll find some uh, some 68 degree high temperature um, where we'll be able to uh, uh, to go low, as go low. the golfers like to say. So. Go low.
love it. Always, always the what's your what's your line? The the ball is in Hope's court. The ball is in Hope's court. Unfortunately, since I've never had an original <laughs> thought, uh, but that line is from Josephine Humphrey's novel, The Fireman's Fair. But I love that line. The ball is in Hope's court. I'm 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 I'm, I'm in. Sign me up. Flip a T. That's a great way to end it, Jake, right there. The ball's in Hope's Court. Ball's in Hope's Court. Thank you both for coming in. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jake. Jake thank See you, you, Dan. Please tell Ch- see you, Cesare. Take care. Thanks. Thank you, Cesare. See you guys.